Welcome to the MESPA Principal Cast, where each week we try to bring on some of our local Minnesota principals and school leaders to showcase the good work going on here in Minnesota schools and to provide bite-sized professional development for our members. I'm Kip Link, a 13-year proud member of MESPA. Currently, I work for the Southwest West Central Service Cooperative as a principal support uh, person. And tonight, uh, as we're recording, I am joined by Jeannie Mayer, the principal of Monaga Elementary School. Welcome to the podcast, Jeannie. Thanks, Kim. Hey, it's great to have you here. Uh, we want to uh, hear a little bit about you, uh, your role in MESPA, because I know you ha you're also uh, one of our chair people. So if you could share a little bit about yourself, your school, and your role at MESPA, we'd uh, love to learn a little bit about you before we get deep into some of our questions. Sure. Well, I... Uh... I live in Monaga, Minnesota with my husband and our seven children, um, five of whom are in K-12. We have twins that are preschool currently. Um, I have been honored to be the principal in Monaga for the last five years and um, have loved every minute of it, uh, have learned an incredible amount over the last five years, not just about um, being a principal, but my own leadership. Um, I love to camp with my family. I love to learn. I'm a lifelong learner. I'm actually working on my doctorate right now through Bethel. I teach for Southwest um, in Marshall. And then through MESPA, I've been involved in MESPA for seven years. And uh, I've served on the School of Excellence Committee, as well as the Legislative Committee. And just this year, was appointed chair of the Legislative Committee and couldn't be more excited as I look forward to a career in the future in policy. So... That's where I'm at. Well, all right. Well, thank you for sharing a little bit about yourself. Um, one of the things that we kind of, I like to kind of start off with is if you could share something um, that you are most proud of about your school or your district and the role that you had in helping establish uh, that, um, that item, whatever it happens to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm not sure how many people are familiar with ENVOY, which stands for Educational Nonverbal Yardsticks. Um, Michael Grinder wrote the curriculum years ago where he studied thousands and thousands of classrooms to determine why some kids behave in some classrooms, but they don't in others. And so much of what he learned was that it's about adult behavior. And so our staff uh, for the last two years has been an Envoy certified staff, and I'm extremely proud of that because what that means is that 80% of my teachers are using Envoy with fidelity, um, and they're showing the seven gems within a 20 to 25 minute period to an external coach. So with the combination of Envoy, we also onboarded PBIS two years ago and completed the cohort. Um, my behavior referrals have dropped to the ground. Um, my attendance has gone up immensely. I went from over 40 habitually truant a year to seven last year. And I really think it's because we provide a safe, calm, welcoming, healthy culture in our building due to the investment that our teachers have made in Envoy and PBIS. Well, that, um, you know, see, sounds great. And the Envoy really is a lot about like, um, as you kind of mentioned a little bit of like the nonverbals and some of those different things and how we uh, as adults carry ourselves and interact with kids, correct? Mm -hmm. I mean, that really, it's, it's kind of building up um, 
that climate and culture and being kind of aware of how our uh, we're coming across to the students in our classroom? Yeah, for sure. For instance, um, now when I have a sub in the building, I can tell exactly which classroom I have a sub in because they're not using the Envoy strategies that they've been taught. And on Monday, our whole district is not Envoy. Um, and so Monday, some of the high school kids, due to the rain, were running in our building. And our young kids are not used to high breathing. I mean, we try to keep our building as calm. Adults are low breathing. We're walking slowly. Um, and as soon as they see somebody high breathing in our building and walking quickly or um, showing any signs of distress, our kids become distressed. And so really it's about just creating a culture that's um, positive for learning and using the adult as the model. How much, uh, how much training does, do your teachers have to go through uh, to really uh, be well-versed enough that they could carry it out um, in their classrooms? Well, I always say to other principals who ask me about Envoy, um, and I'm actually doing my dissertation using Envoy as part of it, but I always say if you had to pick two trainings or two pieces of Envoy, I would pick Envoy 1, which gives you the basics, and I would choose the external coaching. Because if you have that external coach who's an expert in Envoy come into your building, you know that it's going to be a part of an ongoing professional development and be much easier to sustain because that coach is going to come into the room and provide feedback for all those teachers. But there's, um, our teachers have been through several different courses. I believe we're up to six now. Not that all of them have gone through that, but I would say in my elementary, um, 100% of my teachers have been through Envoy 1. Um, and I would say 75% of them have taken more classes through Envoy just to become better versed in using it. And over 80% really, of them are certified. Yeah, I'm really intrigued by this. And so I'm kind of going to ask a sure. little bit more here because, uh, you know, you talk about having them all trained. Is that, do you have, is it a train the trainer model? Is it, are you sending all of your staff to um, conferences some way? Or how is it that you're able to get all of your staff members, um, you know, training, you know, web-based or kind of how is that, how does that work out? Well, um, it, you know, it started six years ago, I believe, um, the year before I became the principal in our school, I was a, a special ed coordinator. And um, we had just a couple of teachers who went to Envoy 1 at Sourcewell at an August date um, in the summertime and um, started using it. And I think people were starting to see what was happening and the momentum just started building and kept going. And um, right now through our cooperative, which is Sourcewell, um, they offer it each summer and then Envoy One, they offer throughout the year. And so once all of the teachers went through it in our elementary, we actually started sending our pairs in the summer and saying, we'll pay you if you go get this training because it's very important to us and we're willing to invest in this. And so each summer we offer more and more Envoy training. And um, actually Jackie Brickman, who comes out of the cities, comes up to Sourcewell and provides it. And she um, has her own company um, in which she does a lot of teaching through Envoy. And um, I think that she really sold the program to us just because she was such an incredible um, deliverer of the information. And um, our, like I said, the momentum has just built and people are begging. We actually have... Um, eight teachers that are going for demonstration status 
um, three teachers who've already completed that status. So what that means is they've completed an intense binder of um, of information that they have to go through with that external coach. They have to meet all these guidelines to become this demonstration teacher. So now if other teachers were to come into our building from other schools, they would go into those demonstration classrooms and actually see it in action. And it's habitual wow. for them. They just do it. You know, we have um, three teachers in our building who are um, were trained as internal coaches, actually two teachers and myself. And so we went through a week of intense training at five different schools in our region where we went into classrooms. We learned how to be Envoy coaches internally in our building and provide the feedback. And then we have this external coach who comes in and does the certification piece. So we've just really invested in it in our building. And um, the momentum just keeps going because people know it works. They've seen our behavior data. They've seen our attendance data. Um, and we are getting so much teaching time back to be able to teach kids. And uh, wow. part of the Finland thing that you want to talk about later is actually um, Finland, they take 15-minute breaks for every 45 minutes of teaching. And so when I brought back um, that we're going to take more breaks, not that we have to take them every hour for 15 minutes, but that we're going to take more breaks in the day, um, nobody even squabbled at the thought of where are we going to find that time? Because with Envoy, we're getting so much teaching time back because we're not managing kids. We're saving our words for curriculum and relationships, and that's what we're doing. Well, and there's even something to be said about, you know, taking a couple minutes to do, like take a brain break or do some mm -hmm. of those different things, but the time that you're getting back um, through the Envoy, uh, sometimes taking that time, you can... Uh, buy more time right because those kids mm -hmm. become a little bit more engaged so if you you take that brain break or you give their their bodies a chance to mm -hmm. re-energize then you kind of come back and you um you know you buy you know you might give three or five to five minutes but you buy 20 minutes of uh, focus time through that for sure building stamina in kids and part of the research um, that michael grinder did found that some teachers are getting an hour and a half a week of instructional time back because they're not spending so much time on management because everything is visual for kids. And now, like if I go into an observation, oftentimes in my post-observation, I'll go visual in a post-observation because that's what I've learned through Envoy. Go visual on every single thing. And so we've gained a lot of time and we're taking 15 to 20 minute breaks every morning in the middle of the morning. Wow. And so you kind of started to reference it there. Um, you know, you before we went on the air and we're recording, we kind of talked about you had a trip to Finland. Can you tell us a little bit about like the background of the trip? What led you to uh, go to Finland and uh, how long were you there and what kind of things did you dig into in terms of their educational system while you were there? Yeah, so I went to Finland last summer. So it was actually a year ago in August that I went, um, the summer of 2018. And... Getting my doctorate through Bethel, I got an email one day that said, we have an opportunity to travel overseas and study the education system over in Finland. Well, we've all seen the reports that say Finland has one of the highest test scores in the whole entire world. And um, I also, the area in which I work in is predominantly a Finnish community. I would say 70% or more of the population in Managa and surrounding Managa is Finnish. And I 
have been in this community since 2003 and I really wanted the community to know that I'm really invested in them and I want to learn more about them. And so I thought, well, I'm going to take this opportunity to go over to Finland and find out what they're doing. Oftentimes I get phone calls from people that will say, why can't we do this like Finland? Finland does it this way. Why can't we do that? And I thought, I want to go over there and find out what can we bring back and what can't we and why? So I got on an airplane and of course it's in the middle of August, which is the worst time for a principal <laughs> because we are so busy. And, um, but I got on a plane in the middle of August and I headed over there with um, 19 other people. And uh, we all had one interest in mind, and that was learning more about what they do. I spent a few days in Helsinki at a couple of schools, of course, more interested in elementary because that's where I'm at. Um, but I spent a majority of the time up in Kokola, which is um, on the border by the Baltic Sea that heads over to Sweden. Um, small little community um, at a school there, and it was incredible to be part of that system. The principal, his name's Perthi, he was amazing. I got to meet the director of education in Kokola, Peter Johnson, um, and just really learn a lot about the system. Well, if you go on to the um, Finland website, it's called infopanky.com. I don't, Finn, I think. Anyway, it really talks about how, you know, Finland is actually the size of Minnesota. It's about five and a half million people uh, as far as the population goes. And um, they all speak Finnish and Swedish as the national language, but I would say a majority of them also teaching or speak English. Public health care is provided to all citizens for free. Um, when babies are born over in Finland, um, they either get a baby box with a lot of stuff in it or a fixed sum of money. Um, they and parents get to stay home for several months with their babies. And oftentimes what they'll do is the mother will stay home for a year and then the dad will stay home for so many months because there's a lot of paternity leave that's also provided. Many of the moms who are teachers get um, up to three years off. And in that three years, they get a stipend from the government to stay home with their kids. So you can kind of see the difference in the two governments, first of all. Well, um, when I went over there, I spent a lot of time in uh, the elementary school, really focusing on elementary and special education. And um, now it's been over a year since I've been there, so I'm trying to reframe my brain into thinking here. But their um, kids don't actually, um, their compulsory education starts at age six. Uh, excuse me, at age seven. At six, their kids go to what they call preschool, which is much like our kindergarten. And um, children must attend one year of preschool before they can go into compulsory education, um, which would be year one for them, they call it, which is would be our first grade. First grade. So they, they essentially don't have a kindergarten as we kind of lay it out. So it's right, a preschool mm -hmm. and then grade one. And they actually call kindergarten daycare. So if you're in daycare, you're in kindergarten. So that was something I really had to wrap my head around to figure out. Now, uh, when you know when you were at that preschool setting the the year before um, year one, mm -hmm. was it was it play based? Was it academic based? Um, you know, because I I know I hear from kindergarten teachers all the time right now that we're we're starting to shift too far. Our continuum's gone too far towards it's so academic so academic 
So I'm just curious of that, that pre-year before their year one, their preschool, you know, what does that, does it look like our kindergarten or is it really more just play-based um, and social interaction? Well, actually, their preschool is when they're six. So if you think about, and theirs, I believe, is from the first of the year, so January 1st. But it's the year that they turn six that they go to preschool. And so their preschool is much like our kindergarten, but they're a year older. Sure. But the one school I was in was an English immersion school, and everything on the walls is exactly, it looked just like one of our kindergarten classrooms. And so their pre what they consider preschool, kids who are six years old to seven, is much like our, our kindergarten. Wow. It's just a shorter time. They go to school for a much shorter time. So uh, in a five-day week, um, they go five days, but they go four hours a day. Now, in that four hours, do they have, um, like, FIED or art? Um, or is that more, is it kind of more integrated into the language arts and the math? You know, I don't recall for preschool, but I do know that they have the same teacher for everything over there in all the grades um, in the elementary. You have the same teacher for FIED, for music. Um, some of the classes that were my absolute favorites were um, the textiles class, the woods um, they all have a second language somewhere in there. So they're learning two languages, their native language. And in this school, it happened to be English. Wow. Mm -hmm. um, and so the, the, in the preschool, they were with the same teacher the whole time as you went into that year one, year two of the elementary model, still just going to school for four hours a day as they got farther on into their, their education? Well, um, in like year one, it's about 20 hours a week. And then as you get older, hours are added because classes are added. So by the time you get into the middle years, it's between 27 and 30 hours a week. And some of them, like if kids are taking three languages, it's almost like you can take extra electives if you want. But their kids in grade one or year one are learning how to hand stitch and how to sew and kind of all those things that are a lost art to us. You know, and some of the, I mean, when they get into um, year four and five, they're in woods, they're building um, sauna ladles with copper and wood. And um, it's just incredible to see the work that they're doing, making sauna pillows, um, hand stitching everything. It's just a whole different world. Wow, that, that, that's intriguing. And so, um, so you, you spent the time there. What, what, would, what would you say were your biggest takeaways that when you came home and you got yourself back to Monaga and you said, you know, I want to find a way to make this happen? You know, what were, what were those big ahas that you could step into and do without, you know, violating state statute or right. uh, some of those different things? Mm -hmm. Actually, I did have three, and when and I presented to several different audiences about this, and I had three uh, significant takeaways. One is looping. Over in Finland, the kids have the same teacher for uh, a, a, every school I was in was a minimum of three years. So years one through three, you had the same teachers. In some of the schools, it was 
years one through six. You had the same teacher for those grades. And um, you could see the relationship that they had and the, um, uh, the ability to just move on with their kids the next year. And uh, so I really took looping away. I really saw a benefit in that. And I brought it to my staff. And um, I actually have two teachers that are looping this year um, from last year. And so we really want to take a look at that data and see if we see a change in data or um, in relationships or um, kind of timing on how things start and if they're all still at the same place at the same time. So looping is one of them. Definitely more breaks, which I alluded to earlier. Um, and I, I read uh, Finish, oh gosh, I can't even remember, something 2.0 by Posse Salberg. And... Um, it really talked in there a lot about taking those breaks after an hour of um, learning, take four, or take 15 minutes and go outside, go outside and play. And they go outside no matter what the temperature is over there. Um, and the third thing, even though it's not elementary, but I got to spend a day at um, the Votech school over there and um, the secondary school that prepares them for university so when kids turn 16 over there they really get to decide what track they're going to go on are you going to go to the votech side are you going to go to the secondary side and very few but some of them are just done after 16 they don't go to either one of them but those kids that get to choose between that votech and that university prep or secondary um really were motivated to do what it is they were doing. We got to spend some time in the culinary school, and these are kids who um, made our lunch. We walked into the lunchroom of this, and these are 16, 17, 18-year-old kids, and the knives were bigger than any knife I have in my house. You had glassware everywhere and real plates and silverware. They just took so much pride in what they were doing. We saw kids on, on five stories of scaffolding building apartments. Um, the labs, the automobile stations were unbelievable, state-of-the-art. And so just knowing that those kids got to make that choice of what they wanted to do, because we know that not all kids are going to go to college or want to go to college. So what other options can we give them? So that Votech secondary um, was very intriguing for me. And I would love to take that to a higher level to say, let's give our kids some choices. And we're certainly starting to hear more and more about that again, too, mm -hmm. in terms of that's starting to circle back here in the United States of we need we need more of those uh, technical offerings. Yeah. Um, you know, even the, you know, for seeing more of a push for not four year schooling, but really for some of those trades um, and different things that way. Mm -hmm. um, so that's kind of interesting. Uh, you know, and one thing I know when sometimes in the education world, we start talking about other countries or different things and they'll say, well, they don't educate everyone, but that, mm -hmm. that is, that's a false statement about Finland, correct? I mean, you mentioned the compulsory education that mm -hmm. they're all required to go to school. They educate all of their kids yep. just like we do. And you don't see charters, you don't see private schools hardly at all. Um, I did spend some time in what they consider a special needs school because I wondered where are our kids that have autism? Where are our kids that have um, developmental cognitive delays? Where are, and so one of the days I got to spend in what they consider a special needs school. And um, 
there's just not a lot of needs. And they say that kids who have significant needs go to more of a residential school. And so we didn't get to see a lot of that, but they reassured us that all kids are chosen for the PISA test. All kids are in the pool for the randomization of the PISA test, which is what um, the nation has used as their testing. It's kind of like, um, what's the test that we take? Not the MCAs, but when they uh, come every once in a while. Yes, um, and we give them at fourth and eighth grade. Yes. Um, and it's not NCATE, maybe? Uh, anyway, it's that's what their piece of test is. That's what they're measuring, using to measure. But they assured us everybody's tested with that. Um, but I will say I was really, um, I loved their tiered system for intervention for like title one and into special ed it is almost identical to ours like i felt really good when i came back saying we're doing so many things that they're doing we just don't know it so. yeah well and i i mean i loved hearing you talk early i mean all all of it was intriguing but the even before we started the conversation about finland you, and you were talking about the envoy and the mm -hmm. getting the time back but just the, those taking regular breaks and letting mm -hmm. kids be kids. Um, you know, we see it all the time as adults. Um, we go to trainings and we go to different things and we get so antsy after like 30 minutes, 45 minutes and we're adults. And, you know, we just get up on our own and go use the restroom or go start walking the back of the room. Um, but yet sometimes in our classrooms, we, we hold kids to a completely different standard um, in how that goes. It's true. In fact, we now um, we're trying to come up with our Monaga mile for the winter when it's too cold to go outside. How can we walk a mile in our building? But we always want them to walk and talk, like socialize, talk to each other. This isn't a, everybody be quiet and walk a mile. Let's let's work together. Um, when we were at the leadership conference, we did that culture walk. So giving the kids some questions and saying, talk about these with a partner during this mile walk, you know. Yeah, like a break doesn't have to necessarily be non-educational. Right. Um, there's so much things that you can have kids doing, um, like you said, like the walk and talks, the mm -hmm. those loops. Um, but even just even you know the the brain breaks and the YouTube videos that get them up and dancing and uh, mimicking different things that are going on. All of those things can you know just taking those couple of minutes will so often buy you you know, a half hour of focused mm -hmm. time. I saw a post the other day that said, go noodle is my cardio. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly right. Um, you know, kind of rolling off of some of the things that you learned, uh, but also just kind of in the world, what is some of the, what's the best advice you ever received about uh, being a principal or school leadership? When actually my first year of teaching, I was a um, long-term sub-counselor and um, the principal I had at the time who continues to be my mentor day in and day out, um, she actually left for the MESPA conference in February and so she was leaving the building to me for three days and of course I was nervous. I was greener than green in my first year and, and I said... And she believed so much in me and um, the capabilities that I didn't even know that I had. And I said, well, what if something happens? And she says, Jeannie, you're going to know exactly what to do. It's really going to come from your gut and just believe in it. 
And uh, so to this day, I always think I got this because she believed in me and she told me that it's going to come from my gut and I'll be able to figure it out. And uh, so I always go back to what she said, more of the, you got this, Jeannie, you know, you can figure this out, problem solve it, figure it out and get on with it. I'm more of that hard knocks and she was that way too. And so if I need anything, I just call her. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and you, you know, there's so much too that if you kind of don't trust your gut and some of those things, you end up stewing about things and, um, you know, then you take your work home and, you know, Mm -hmm. you mentioned your, your family and how important it is to be with them. And so, you know, what is, you know, something along those lines then that helps you provide balance um, so that you do kind of leave things at work and be able to get yourself home and not be stewing about uh, different things and really just trusting your gut. Well, I'll tell you what, I'm a total failure at balance, but um, I'm really working on it. Um, One of uh, a piece of PD that I went through and now I'm going through for a second time because it was so impactful to me was called Giant Worldwide. And what that taught me so much about my own leadership. And one of the things that they really push is know yourself to lead yourself. And so I really had to learn a lot about myself, um, myself in my career, myself in my home, um, myself with my extended family, with what I want to do in life. And it really helped me figure out that I was spending way too much time on work and not enough time with my family. And um, I I almost had to go through all of these assessments to see that. And it really brought a lot of reality to me to say, knock it off, Jeannie, you better figure this out. And so now through all these tools that I've learned through Giant Worldwide, I've learned what to prioritize. What do I need to deal with immediately so it doesn't become a problem later? What are some things that I can put aside for later? And it's not going to be a huge deal. So I've really had to learn how to prioritize things at work to make sure that I still get what I need to get done, but that I can still go home to my family at night. Wow, that's great. Um, You know, you talked about, you know, trying to help prioritize and do different things. Is there anything out there that really on a regular basis causes you to lose sleep at night? Um, And is there any way that like our professional learning network of MESPA principals and uh, other principals across the country could, uh, could help you out and give you some advice on? Great question. Um, We adopted our three youngest kids out of foster care. And one thing that I took for granted as a teacher before becoming a principal was kids in foster care, kids who are homeless, um, kids who don't know where their next meal is coming from. And I feel like I've changed so much over time since going through that process because um, I lose sleep over those kids. The kids who, I don't know what's going to happen to them when they get off that bus at night. I don't know. if they get to eat at night or if their only meal is breakfast and lunch at school. Um, I don't know if kids are getting abused at home or neglected. Um, And that bothers me. I I just feel like I want to protect every one of them, especially since I have three of them that were that way in my home. And um, so now what I try to tell teachers all the time is that we have to do everything in our power to love these kiddos from eight to three. 
because we have no control of anything that happens after three and before eight o'clock. And I do lose sleep over that all the time. And, and what's funny is when I was over in Finland, I asked one of the principals there, is this an issue for you guys? Do you worry about kids getting fed? Do you worry about drugs in your community? Do you worry about homelessness or, or abuse? And they said, no, we don't see um, threat on the outside. And I just thought that was really interesting because I lose sleep over it all the time. And I really appreciate how MESPA is bringing in so much of the mental health training in because I think that is so critical. And what we as principals need to do is make sure that we invest that same amount of training into our teachers to make sure they get the support to understand how mental health is evolving over time. And, you know, you it's not only the mental health, but it's, um, you know, it's understanding culture and mm -hmm. kids' backgrounds and uh, just even just having a, a realization of how we impact their world. Um, you know, even as principals where we're one level removed from the classroom, but just the impact that we can have on a, a student's well-being and their their mental state by making those connections being outside um, when they get off the bus being outside when they get on the bus um, those high fives and hugs um, mm -hmm. you know for some kids that's all they get well and what kind of bothers me too is when i was a teacher i sent home a homework folder on monday and expected it back on friday and who got the sticker on the chart? The kids that did their homework. Well, the kids that didn't do their homework wasn't because they couldn't do it. It was because they didn't have the support to help them at home or they didn't have the environment that was supportive for them to do it at home. And so those kids, now that I look back, I thought those kids are, were being punished because they didn't do their homework. But there's nobody there to help them. There's nobody there to, you know, drive that bus to support them. And that bothers me. And we went to no homework in our elementary because I didn't want the kids who didn't do their homework to lose recess because they didn't have somebody to help them at home. Well, and even it begs the question of who did the homework. Oh, when, for sure. When, when they're not doing it with you and with your support, um, you know, are you really getting an accurate picture of, of each of those students? Yeah, that's um, the opposite end of it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> exactly. So. Yeah. Well, this was a really great conversation, and we got, we already rolled over a half hour. Um, that was very intriguing stuff. But before we go, uh, I want to give people a chance to get to know you just a little bit better with some lightning round questions. So, kind of oh. quick answers. All um, right. Given your, you know, it is uh, we're wrapping up uh, National Principals Month month here. So, there, you know, there might be people that want to honor you and do things for you so they got to know you a little better <laughs> all right so are you coke or pepsi diet pepsi mountains or beach mountains vikings or packers eeny meeny miny mo <laughs> <laughs> you must have people on both sides and you're trying to be safe there <laughs> favorite kids book oh gosh um anything by Dr. Seuss, uh, but I love the new Crayon books too, like Red and One. How about favorite adult book? Oh gosh, Kip, I'm so stuck in research right now with my doctorate. I don't even know what 
enjoyment for reading is anymore. <laughs> so I would say right now it's research. I love reading research. All right. And final one, sweet or salty with your snacks? Oh, salty. All right. Uh, and the later at night it gets, the more salty they need to be. Yep, and a cup of coffee. <laughs> <laughs> that's a, uh, that's kind of me too. Same same boat. Well, uh, before we wrap up, I just want to give a sh uh, shout out to our MESPA team and some of the trainings that we've got going on. We've got several things coming up. Uh, still, you, you mentioned uh, going to Roger Aronson the other day. He does have one legal seminar left uh, here yet this fall, uh, Friday, November 1st. Uh, he will be in the Twin Cities. Um, we're also we're starting to do a lot more with the trauma, uh, the foundations and applications for uh, the trauma responsive schools. That's on Friday, November 15th. Um, and also the Responsibility Center Discipline, Become a, a, ma a Master of the Challenging Moments. It's a two part. It's only the second part is still uh, to come. That's in uh, late November, November 26th. Um, and then one you talked about balance. Um, the MESPA school office that really is about giving uh, principals the gift of time. Um, that is November 12th, uh, also in the Twin Cities. Um, and now there's also, we just had another new one that popped up on the MESPA page in the last week, um, acknowledging the role of implicit bias with Dr. Rosemarie Allen. And that one is free. Um, she's got three days in early December. Uh, a one day for those that make policy decisions and um, and then another two days of training towards those that are actually working with kids. Um, and so that's December 2nd through the 4th and that one is free. Um, so if that is something that uh, is intriguing to anybody out there, just go to mespa.net, M-E-S-P-A dot net. Um, and go to the professional development tab and you can get more information on all of those trainings provided by our wonderful MESPA uh, principals. Um, almost all of our uh, professional development is designed and carried out by our membership. So um, make sure you get into those. Well, Jeannie, thanks so much for uh, joining us tonight and taking time away from your family to uh, share your experiences about Envoy in Finland. I'm sure there'll be a lot that people can take away from uh, this episode of the MESPA Principal Cast. I hope so. And one thing that if I could say anything, it's get involved in, in MESPA if you are currently not. It's um, definitely changed my leadership, uh, especially with the networks of people. We need each other. And um, without each other, we're an island. And so, I mean, we have an incredible Northern division and um, we have emails that go out constantly asking for advice on things. So count on your colleagues. MESPA is a great place to do that. Absolutely true. I've been now a part of MEMBA for 13 years and uh, the best advice and the best uh, support network um, around comes out of MESPA, um, you know, Kurt Slater. Uh, at our leadership conference said it, you know, it can be a lonely place uh, mm -hmm. if we let it. Uh, so get out there, get involved and uh, help don't each other out. It. Yeah, don't let it. We're in this together. Thanks again for joining us tonight, Jeannie. Uh, this is Kip Link for MESPA and the MESPA Principal Podcast. 
Uh, thanks again, and we'll have more episodes coming out in a couple weeks. Have a great, great day. Thanks for listening to this episode of Mesco Principal Cast. For more information about the Minnesota Elementary School Principals Association, visit mespa.net.